Welcome to D-List is a Podcast. I'm Michael Kay. And I'm Allison. Happy Halloween, or almost Halloween. Ooh, just about Halloween. Halloween Eve, Eve, possibly. Eve, Eve, yeah. Halloween is on Wednesday, but because it's in the middle of the week, there were a lot of parties over the weekend, Famous, some famous people ones, like George Clooney and Mr. Cindy Crawford's Tequila Company. They had two, one in LA and one in Vegas. Fancy. The Seinfelds had one. Uh, just Jared, the gossip blog, had one. Where was Delisted's Halloween party? Well, I mean, I would like to think that we had our own Halloween parties by ourselves. By by ourselves, I mean completely On by the ourselves couch. in our living room. Yeah. Well, if we had one, it would probably exclusive. be held. Like, just Jared's was held, you know, in a real venue and celebrities came out. Ours would be held, like, in a strip club parking lot in Redlands. And the party would stay there until we got kicked out of the parking lot, and then we would have to move to, like, the parking lot of a spirit Halloween. Oh, so I thought, I really thought I would see a lot of problematic costumes from attention whores, but I really did not. There was the, there was no, nothing like the time Julian Huff did blackface to dress as crazy eyes from Orange is a New Black. Yeah. There wasn't anything like that that I saw. But Sean White, you know, that ginger Olympian. Yeah. What is he called? The flying carrot or something? Uh, yeah, that I think sounds so. Right, yeah. The skyward so carrot or something. Something like that. So he dressed like Simple Jack from Tropic Thunder. Oh, no. And the Special Olympics people said they were disappointed with him for making a disability a punchline. So he got into some trouble. And both Ariel Winter and Brody Jenner's wife dressed as... Avira Hancock from Scarface. And that offended me because nobody except Michelle Pfeiffer should dress as the legendary Elvira Hancock. So those yeah, are offensive. That was a problematic choice on her part. Yes. But let me ask you, Allison, have mm-hmm. you ever wore a costume that at the time you did not think was a mess? And now that you look at it, you're like, that was problematic. Yes, absolutely. And I As an adult or were you a kid? Um I would say I was probably in my early 20s which i mean i'm obviously in my early 20s right now so this is obviously last this Halloween. happened last year yeah yeah um no it it wasn't at the time i didn't think it was problematic so i was dating a guy who looked exactly like harry potter but i don't obviously i didn't want to like he looked because, five like, years old or six years old or however harry potter this is no. very, getting very problematic <laughs> No, he looked like Harry Potter from like the later, the later movies, not the early. Grown up Harry Potter. Yeah, the the like. But were those movies out back then? All the way back then? I'm just. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) All the way back then. You know what? I deserve that. Um, it really wasn't that long ago. Um, okay. So the point is, he looked like Harry Potter, but Harry Potter also looks like John Lennon. So I was like, well, if you go as John Lennon, I'll dress as Yoko Yoko Ono. Ono. And I obviously do not look, I don't look like a Japanese woman. Um, so but here's, you did not paint your skin. No. So here's where okay. I feel proud of myself is that this was like so many years ago before we started using the word like problematic and stuff like that. Like, obviously I knew back then that like blackface was a terrible idea or like dressing up as a native American is a horrible idea. But for me, I thought, okay, well, if I dress all in black and have a black wig and put on like a black beret and like maybe do a cat eye, like just a little bit, I was like, I think that's good. That's not bad. See, the cat eye is, I think, where you went sideways. I know. But I, to be fair, 
No You're like, well, I taped my eyes with tape and then I painted my skin yellow. It wasn't like, that bad. I watched Breakfast with Tiffany's and I like took notes on Mr. Unioshi. Um, no, like to be fair, nobody knew I was Yoko Ono. So I think I didn't do a good enough job at it. Like I think I just looked like myself, like maybe a with beatnik. A, with a black wig, yeah. So, so I think that's mine. Okay. Mine was 15 around 15 years ago so okay. i dressed as a hari krishna okay which i would not do now i wore so i wore like the peach robe you know and yeah. i carried flowers i didn't so some hari krishna costumes they have the bald cap with a braided ponytail yeah those are a mess i didn't go that far but okay, it was good. still a mess so were you wearing was, a robe or were you wearing a bed sheet it was uh it was Oh, God, I really don't remember. I think it was just like fabric that I bought like a, you know, Michaels. So what about your favorite costumes? I think my favorite costume, it's kind of a tie. One year I went as a squirrel and I like made my own tail. Were you a grown up dressed yeah, as was, a squirrel? I was a grown up. Yeah, I was a grown <laughs> These are all grown up costumes because I don't count my little kid costumes because like every little kid costume is cute to me. Like they're all good. Oh, no, they're not. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Some of them are pretty cute. But like, so my scrolls of a costume I loved. And then um, a couple years ago, I went as Loretta from Drop Dead Gorgeous, which oh, was a good hard. One. It's oh, that's not a hard because really I'm pretty trashy. And then as a little kid, I think probably my favorite costume was a homemade Punky Brewster costume when I was about five. And oh, that, like, that sounds cute too. It was it was very cute. My mom worked did you, really hard on you're it. Because you're blonde, so did you wear a wig? No, I was, well, so I was, I had brown, I'm one of those kids who had brown hair in like the spring and the winter and then blonde hair in the summer and the fall. So So you, meaning you dyed it in the (laughs) summer and the fall. Yeah, exactly. I was going to the salon at five. You bleached it. No, by then my hair was darker. It had faded with the, you know, fall or whatever. So my hair was dark. I did look like Punky Brewster. Well, that's cute. Yes. So what was your, what are your favorite costumes? So I have two. I'll make this quick. Okay. So... Um, so, you know, Mariah Carey's video for Heartbreaker from of like course. 1999. So yeah. there was a good Mariah and a bad Mariah yes. named Bianca. I think the bad Mariah mm-hmm. was. So my friend and I, my friend Nick and I, we did that. So I was good Mariah. And so like right now I'm skinny fat. But back <laughs> in the 90s, I was so skinny. I was like a stick. Mm-hmm. And good Mariah, like she wears a pink crop top. So I showed a lot of skin. Yes. So we went to West Hollywood. In West Hollywood, they shut down Santa Monica for okay. Halloween. And you walk up and down. You look at other costumes and stuff. That's really so we went, we went there. And almost like immediately, people were calling me Anorexic Mariah. Oh, Mariah, scary, Mariah Scary Skinny. No ass Mariah. <laughs> they kept, but what was really They're just rude, jealous. Haters. They, but what was really rude is that... We didn't think anyone would know who we were dressed as, which is dumb because we were in the middle of gay town and the video was big. So, of course, yeah. people knew who we were. But just in case they didn't know who we were, we carried around a boombox that played Heartbreaker on a loop for oh my hours. God, that is perfect. People were pissed. We should have been arrested for noise pollution. And we didn't care. We're like, oh, we look cute. I look, you know, no ass Mariah. I look cute. But it was not cute. So then my other favorite costume was when my sister, I was a grown-up, my sister and our friends, we dressed up as the Wizard of Oz characters, but we did like a post-apocalyptic raver Wizard of Oz. Ooh, like my that sister, sounds like a drag race challenge. 
It kind of was. My sister was a tin woman, and I was Dorothy, but I didn't dress as a woman. I was a dude and was like a raver glam rocker. Like, I wore okay baby blue vinyl pants and combat boots that I covered with red glitter. And oh my God. so for some reason, I decided to wear a Joan Jet wig, you know, it was like black pixie and it was spiky. Yeah, pretty terrible. And when I look at pictures now, I look like Kris Jenner as a, like a bootleg Eddie Izzard. It's just <laughs> awful. I look so awful. And I still have that wig somewhere. So and now that I said it looks like Kris Jenner's hair, I need to find it, dip it in holy water and throw it into a volcano. Or if you don't have a Halloween costume yet for Wednesday, go as the scariest thing in the world, which is Chris Jenner. Jenner. Yeah. No, no. I, I don't have much dignity, but even I have too much dignity for that. Yeah. So let's move on from Halloween messiness to movie messiness. So mm-hmm. Variety reports that Steven Spielberg and J.J. Abrams are producing a movie of the nonfiction book um, called A Hope More Powerful Than the Sea. One Refugee's Incredible Story of Love, Loss, and Survival. The book was written by Melissa Fleming, who is the chief spokeswoman for the United Nations Refugee Agency. So the book is about a woman named Doa Al-Zamel, whose family family left Syria for Egypt. And then in 19, she fled Egypt for Sweden because she wanted a better life. So she and her fiancé paid to... um, be smuggled into Sweden on a boat, and their boat eventually got into a wreck with a fishing boat. Um, most, including her, most refugees aboard, including her fiance, died, and she survived for days in the sea with only the support of a water ring, water ring, like a you know inflatable water ring. Yeah. She also had Floaty. two small children she met on the ship with her. Like the children also survived that wreck up until that point. I think one died later, which is awful. But she mm-hmm. she kind of helped them while they were in the ocean for days. And she was eventually rescued. So that is being turned into a movie. And Steven Spielberg and J.J. Abrams hired the first person you think of to write a story about a Syrian refugee. No, not Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> the other person, Lena Dunham. The other person you think about, Lena oh, Dunham. Although they're totally going to cast Lindsay Lohan as the lead. I mean, she already has the Syrian accent down. Yeah. And she can improv her own lines perfectly. You know, it, yeah, it'll work. Yeah. So because Syrian refugees have not been through enough, Lena Dunham will write the script. And Melissa Fleming tweeted that she's happy about that news. Um, and Lena claims she's going to donate every penny she makes to Syrian refugee organizations. Oh, I feel like that's not generous enough. I feel like being truly generous would be... I'm not going to do it. Yeah, tweeting, sorry guys, I've pulled out. Literally anyone else can do this, and that's my gift to the world. Well, and like she's getting a lot of shit, but Spielberg and J.J. Abrams, they need to get shit for hiring her in the first place. They knew what they were doing. They obviously want the story of a you know a Syrian refugee surviving at sea to be turned into like the harrowing tale of a rich white New York City hipster surviving on a cruise full of Midwesterners during a family vacation or some shit. But, but you know what though, Michael? To be fair, I think that 
Lena Dunham can absolutely speak to the refugee experience because she knows suffering. Like one time she sent her assistant to her local food co-op for a bottle of organic kombucha and they didn't have it. And then her assistant had to go to a store two blocks down over and it wasn't even organic. And also one time she had dinner with Taylor Swift at the Spotted Pig and their server forgot to bring bread. So you're right. Yeah, she knows suffering. But I want to see, I don't want to see the movie but i want to see the first draft of the script because there's going to be at least one scene where she gets a uti after masturbating with a plastic bottle she finds like in the sea (laughs) yeah and she'll probably tell the children that yeah like floating in the middle of the ocean sucks but it's not as bad as trying to find a brunch place in williamsburg on a sunday without a reservation like yeah. you said, yeah. So I, I want to see that. And I don't even know why we bothered making jokes about this because a person on Twitter named at Crushport already won by tweeting, hopefully this script is such a dog, she abandons it. Oh my God. <laughs> Boom. That's that's it. Podcast is done. We can't, we can't report on anything better than that. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to take us from movie messiness to vocal messiness. Um, and by which I mean, I'm, we're going to be talking about Fergie, the, so there's the original Fergie. What do we call Fergie Fergie? Oh, she's just Fergie. Yeah. Just capital F Fergie. So the story begins way back in February when Fergie gave us the most wonderful belated Valentine's day present our ears could have ever asked for when she sang the national anthem at, um, an NBA all-stars game, which if, if you haven't heard it, then. Oh, you've you know, heard it. C- congratulations, you, you just woke up out. from your coma. But yeah, otherwise you've heard it. Um, it kind of, I don't know, the way I can maybe describe it is like, it sounds like someone who can't sing doing an impression of Christina Aguilera. Um, it's great. It's terrific. So anyway, during that, um, uh, national anthem, the, uh, the, you know, the camera's panning around to a whole bunch of people and it, um, the, the camera players lands on, and stuff. yeah, players. And so it lands on Draymond Green, um, of the Golden State Warriors who became known more as than just Draymond Green. Is it Draymond or Draymond? I would say Draymond. Like Raymond, Draymond. Yeah, like I'm looking at it like everybody loves Draymond. Well, everybody yeah. did love oh Draymond during that video. Let's, yeah, we did. Because his face was just like, what the fuck is this? It was perfect. I mean, it was the it was the face you would make if you were watching that live. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. So Josh Dumel, Fergie's former husband, um, recently came to her defense. He was really bothered by Draymond Green. So um, Josh told Fair Games' Christine Leahy that recently during an interview that he thinks that Draymond owes Fergie an apology, which is what Josh thinks a real man would do in the circumstances. So he says, I was pissed off at Draymond Green. First of all, I think he owed her an apology. I thought he was kind of a prick. 
for Why what, specifically for just because he knew the camera was on him and he snickered about it. And I just thought that if he would have been a real man, he would have at least called her and said, listen, I'm sorry that I caused all this. Oh, so he never reached out? No, of course he did didn't. Did you? Did you try to get that message to him? No. Okay. Well, maybe he's watching now and he can apologize yeah. to her. I mean, that's what a real man would have done, in my opinion. I mean, Fergie kind of caused it all herself when she opened her mouth, but that's... Well, if, he, if Josh here. wants Draymond Green to apologize, then he should demand an apology from literally every single person who watched it, because we all laughed at it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Where do I send my apology? Because my face is doing the same thing as everyone else. Um, also, so... But the thing is... so. Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors responded by posting a video from their locker room of several Golden State Warriors dancing to a remix of Fergie's performance, which is, again, it's a great, it's a great remix. It actually makes it wonderful. Much better. Yeah. Yeah. And Fergie responded to that by tweeting the video and saying, I knew I wanted it to be special. So she kind of gave her stamp of approval and she's got a good sense of humor about it. Yeah, so she doesn't care. And that made me, like, I personally loved Fergie's version of the national anthem because I love when people butcher it. Like that's my favorite yeah. past American pastime. Like listen to it. And like, you know, she sounded like a drunk hyena, you know, getting butt fucked with a vibrator or whatever. And she laughed about it and she has no problem with it. And yet Josh does. And I love that she liked that video and had a comment because it made Josh look so fucking stupid. I know. And also it made him look like so overly sensitive. Like for something that's not even something to worry about plus he needs to relax and obviously fergie's relaxed because that whole anthem is still a million times more listenable than my hops and that gets played all the time and he needs to spend less time getting at people for laughing at a disaster and more time getting his agents for booking him on a disaster of a show like la to vegas which i saw and i want my money back This is the part where we go over five stories, quickly-ish, starting with 50 Cent and Ja Rule. They've had a long marinating beef going on since the beginning of time. Last month, Ja Ja Rule's show in Syracuse was canceled, and 50 Cent laughed at him on Instagram for not being able to sell tickets. And then last week, 50 Cent laughed at a Ja Rule show in Arlington, Texas, being on Groupon for $15, and he said he bought 200 seats in the front so it'd be empty. Ja Rule responded by tweeting a picture of 50 Cent in drag with the caption, this beef is a joke to everyone except this little ape looking bitch. She mad. And now people are accusing him of transphobia. So I'm team no one on this, but 50 Cent, he had to declare bankruptcy not too long ago. And wasting money on stupid shit like this is going to make him have to declare bankruptcy again. And then who's going to be laughing? Yeah. And also, I mean, I'm definitely team no one as well. But Ja Rule needs to think about it this way. At least someone is buying tickets to his show. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a positive. Yeah. Even if nobody shows up, I mean, nobody's going to show up anyway, but at least somebody's buying those tickets. So the Hollywood Reporter did a long interview with Sigourney Weaver about um, the entertainment industry and the Me Too movement, and Roman Polanski came up. He directed her in Death and the Maiden, and she was asked if she'd work with him again. She said yes and added, to be quite honest, I think I would. He's now happily married. He has two children. I'm sure that he and the children have had some interesting conversations about it. He pled guilty. Does he regret it? I'm sure he does. 
Not Sigourney Weaver. I know that whole that whole quote about like I'm sure him and his children had conversations on here. This is me tugging at the collar of my shirt, being like, "Yeah, hi, children. This is the time you know I I raped a girl." Yes, come, children, gather round the fire. Daddy has a tale about being at Jack Nicholson's house in the '70s. Yeah, it's terrible. Listen, Sigourney Weaver needs to understand that the only kind of career news we want to hear from her is stuff like. I am doing an Aliens reboot, or I am working on a sequel to Heartbreakers. And that's all. I that's want about to hear. it. But she's right. Like I'm sure Roman Polanski does regret pleading guilty. So she is right about that. Yeah. So Deadline, Deadline brought on a million as if headlines, and yes, one was from me when I wrote this for D-List of the site by announcing that a remake of Clueless is in the early stages of happening. Tracy Oliver, who wrote Girls Trip, is producing, and Marquita Robinson, who writes for Glow, is writing the script. Oh my gosh. To to paraphrase, quote, Clueless, I hope that a Clueless reboot is sporadically. That barely works. What I'm trying to say here is this is a terrible it idea. I'll, <laughs> I'll say it works. Okay. But, like, Clueless was a remake, or whatever you want to call it, of Emma. So why don't they just do another remake of Emma? Why does it have to be a remake of Clueless? Like, this is why... Classic movies should be able to get historic status like buildings. Like, it should be against the law. It's true. To mess with this. Clueless should be in the Smithsonian along with Paul Rudd, who should also be in the Smithsonian. But that's, I think that's the only way this movie can work is if Paul Rudd is involved. And he totally could because he's almost 50, but he still looks like a college student. And that's the, that's the only way I'd accept this movie. If he plays Cher, then yes, I'll completely accept it. Fully on board. Okay, so speaking of unnecessary reboots, the Heather's TV show from Paramount, you know, the one where, like, the marginalized kids are actually the bitches and bullies, it was already pulled and scrapped after the Parkland shooting because there's gun violence in the show. So Paramount then decided to heavily, heavily edit the episodes and air it all in a marathon. It began airing on October 25th, but on Sunday night, they didn't air two episodes because of the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting the episodes dealt with the students going through active shooter training what a mess god i know also the show has been pulled from the trash so many times like it's take a hint heathers it's it's almost like a heathers reboot doesn't work in 21st century america yeah like yeah like if they're looking for something new time yeah like if they're looking for a safe time when the country isn't in mourning over mass shooting they're gonna have to wait until like 2000 and fucking never yeah, it's and it's gonna never... have to it's not gonna have to like premiere on Mars within the first like hour that we have landed on Mars. Yeah. Although Shannon Doherty got a check for this and she's in it for a minute, so it's not a total flaming turd situation. She got a check. So that's she... something good. Yeah. So as we all know, Sophia Vergara's douchebag ex, Nick Loeb, is suing her for what he says is his right to use two frozen embryos they made when they were together. He really wants to make the embryos, which are both girls, and he's named, because that's what you do, into humans. But Sophia doesn't want to, since they're not together anymore. Nick has moved his case to Louisiana because it's a pro-life state, and they recognize embryos as humans. TMZ says he got a place in Louisiana, since you have to be a resident to file a lawsuit in the state. Sources say that Nick is doing all of this because he's still mad that she dumped him, and he wants to ruin her marriage to Joe Mangello. Yeah. Oh my God. Nick is like every asshole in every rom com that has ever been written. 
like the like vindictive terrible first boyfriend who's like oh, i'll get you sophia like i'll get revenge on you except his revenge is terrible it involves embryos i know and like delusion is a hell of a drug if he thinks like this is going to ruin her marriage like i know i mean she's probably remaining unbothered because it's hard to care about much when you're fucking joe mangiello while buying diamonds on your ipad which For Halloween, we asked you, our dear listeners, to send in a scary story if you had one. And you sent some in. So we're going to read three. Ooh, turn out the lights. Okay. Put a so light the first... in your jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. So the first one comes from listener Bex. It's long, but it's a journey and it's a scary story and should be made into a movie. Just don't get Lena Dunham to write the script and it'll be fun. It'll be good. Okay. So here we go. When my mom was a teenager, her older brother asked her if she wanted to ride along one Saturday afternoon and see a house that he and his wife were thinking of renting. She always enjoyed hanging out with them and her nephews, who were just a couple years younger than her. So she was happy to go along. The house was a large 19th century farmhouse that had been very well maintained with all the original woodwork and hardwood floors. The rent on the place was incredibly cheap. The house was out in the country and was owned by an older, childless couple. They explained that the rent was cheap because they were eager to downsize and move closer to town. It was becoming too hard for them to maintain a large house and drive so far to run daily errands. They met my family at the house and showed them around. There was one bedroom upstairs that was locked, and the couple explained to my uncle and aunt that they had some personal belongings stored in there, and they would prefer if they kept the door locked and the stuff undisturbed. My uncle agreed to this, and after seeing the whole house, he and my aunt decided on the spot to rent it. The older couple left to get the lease paperwork, and my aunt and uncle left to go to the bank to get a cashier's check for the deposit. The three teenagers stayed behind to explore the house. Of course, as soon as the adults left, the two boys decided that they were going to break into that locked room to see what was in it. Uh. They tried kicking in the door, but it wouldn't budge, so they ran down to the basement to see if they could find a crowbar or other tools to take off the doorknob and lock, leaving my mom standing in that hallway by herself. She poked around some of the bedrooms, and when she came out, that locked door was standing wide open. Of course, she thought maybe her nephews had managed to loosen the lock and it finally gave away. She stood outside the room and looked in. She saw that it was empty, not full of personal belongings, and that there were faded stains on the floor. She immediately knew something was wrong and was very scared, so she did not go in. Then she heard a faint voice from inside the room calling her name and asking her to come inside. She was frozen in fear and didn't move. Just then, her nephews came bounding back up the stairs with the tools they had found. They yelled, how did you open the door, and ran to my mom. When they reached her, the door slammed shut. This roused my mom from her frozen panic, and she grabbed the boys by the arms and yelled, get out now, and they all ran outside. When my uncle and his wife returned, he saw that something was wrong and the kids were terrified. He asked my mom what happened. She told him the story and then said, there is something evil in that locked room. I'm never setting foot in that house again, and if you rent it, you're a fool. They waited for the owners of the house to return, and when they did, my uncle asked them what was really in that room and said that his sister had heard a voice inside and had seen stains on the floor. The older couple was shaken, but admitted that the room had belonged to their teenage daughter. She had stabbed her boyfriend to death and then killed herself in that room. They had never been able to get the blood stains off the floor. 
Then they admitted that they rented the house to several other people, none of whom had stayed more than a few months because of the noises coming from that room. A few months later, my mom saw in the local newspaper that the house had burned down. It was empty and no one was hurt, but the origins of the fire were never determined. When my mom told me this story years later, she was still shaken by the memory, and her advice to me was, if a spirit never calls your name, don't answer it. Oh, if a spirit ever calls your name, don't answer it because it's up to no good and get out of there. Oh, my God. This is a movie, huh? Did Beck send us a movie script? She might. You know what? A synopsis, yeah, that she found on IMDb. I was, like, super, super scared the second you said old farmhouse and, pardon me, childless couple. I was like, oh, yeah, shit's going down in this place. But I guess lumber liquidators didn't exist back then because all that old couple had to do was call them to replace the floor in the room. Oh, yeah. And, like, get Chip and Joanna Gaines in there because... Any oh, they'll make will it. Leave. They'll make it scarier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have. Um, a Wait. Story. Before I have a yeah. question about yeah. Bex's mother' advice about mm-hmm. this. The advice about not answering a spirit mm-hmm. when it calls. What if the spirit is of James Dean and he's calling to do sex to me? I can answer. That's okay to answer, right? Honestly, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I'll take my chances okay. for sure. And if you're a lonely person like I am, if a spirit calls my name, I'll be like. Yeah, no one's talked to me in like two weeks. I would love to chat with you. So don't don't necessarily take that information to heart. So my story is from um, delisted reader uh, who goes by Add a Vanity. Um, so hers is nice and short and it involves an animal. Don't worry, it's not an hor- like a horrible pet cemetery style one. So Or is it? Uh, oh, pretend I have a flashlight under my chin right now. So about 10 years ago, she writes, excuse me, about 10 years ago, my mom, sister, and brother were living in a big house in a rural area. Oh my God, another Is it the 19th big century house. farmhouse? Yeah, exactly. Shit, these houses. My mom woke up to a loud bang in the middle of the night. She got out of bed and went to check on my brother and sister. They were both in bed, but they also heard the bang. When my mom went downstairs, the front door was wide open, although they thought it had been closed and locked. It was storming and raining and wind was blowing into the house. My mom was afraid someone had broken in. Suddenly, she heard a sound in the kitchen. She went in and there in the middle of the kitchen hissing was a giant black cat. They had no idea whose cat it was and everyone was freaked out. My brother chased the cat outside, but no one ever figured out how the door opened. Is this a story? Is this story a marketing stunt for the new Sabrina, the teenage witch? <laughs> Definitely is. Also, I'm pretty sure that I've seen a porno that starts with, um, they heard a big bang and there was a giant pussy in the kitchen. Yeah, a black pussy. You meant? <laughs> yeah. But that that cat was a witch, or that cat was just being a cat because cats are pros at opening doors. Like my yeah. sister's cat once opened a door, my bedroom door, when I was asleep, and the door was locked. I swear. Like the cat somehow opened the door or I was drunk and I thought I closed and locked the door. Either or. Cats are pros at scaring the hell out of people too. So you should never be surprised if like some spooky shit happens in your house and there's a cat near it. Yeah, the cat did it. Yeah, and the cat, yeah, the cat wants to scare the shit out of you. So yeah. this isn't a totally scary story, although a stage full of Elvis impersonators sounds pretty scary to me. But it happened on Halloween. It comes from listener Noah 
So Noah writes, when I was in college, I worked at a music venue. I was a sometimes bartender, but also sometimes I would act as the touring artist's personal assistant for the day. It was usually pretty cool to get to hang around backstage with celebrity tights and get them fancy food and booze from Whole Foods or whatever. The worst celebrity I ever encountered was Lisa Marie Presley during her stint as a musician. Her writer was so specific about the scent of candles and the type of Merlot, which was pretty typical. But she had three rules I will never forget. One, you can't look her in the eyes or speak to her. Two, you can't talk about Elvis. And the kicker, three, if you are in the room with her and are referring to her personally, you couldn't call her by her name. She wanted to only be called LMFP, which of course stood for Lisa Marie fucking Presley. Oh my so God. dumb. Also, when she came on stage, there were Elvis impersonators there and she had them kicked out. Oh, they were, I thought they were on the stage. They were in the venue. Yeah, that's scary. She, oh. I would have had them kicked out too. Oh my gosh. Also, how are you supposed to talk to Lisa Marie Presley without mentioning Elvis? Like her last name is Presley. Would you talk about like Jamie Presley? Actually, yeah, that's, that's all I want to talk about. No, all I want to talk about is Elvis. And LMFP, like that's hard to say. L, that's like our, that's like our email address. DTP It's like LMFP. Yeah, it would be way easier just to call her like the king's daughter. Yeah, or the queen. Yeah, the queen, the princess. Yeah. So that's that. Thanks to everyone who sent in a story. And if we didn't read yours, we'll read it next year at the delisted Halloween party held in a strip club parking lot in Red. Did I say Redlands? Earlier? Uh, that works in Redlands. Sure. It's going to be in Redlands. Yeah. So have a happy Halloween all. I hope you get lots of candy. And I know I am because I'm totally going to go trick-or-treating for free food. You're never too old, Michael. No, and if anybody says shit to me about being too old to trick-or-treat, I'm just going to tell them I look old for my age and how dare they Benjamin Button shame me. So, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Bye. Bye. Bye.